0: Welcome to The Gathering at Adel. Today's message is part three in our series titled, How to Pray. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter six, and we'll look at verses nine through 13. We've been working through uh, a a sermon series called How to Pray, and we started in Matthew chapter six. We looked at verses five through eight, and uh, really, Jesus, his disciples asked him, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? because they've seen Jesus's life. This is coming out of Luke chapter 11, and it ties into the Lord's Prayer. But the disciples had been walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, listening to Jesus pray, and they thought enough of this to go, maybe I've been doing this wrong, because I know the way that I pray, and I'm hearing this guy pray, and that's different and so they asked Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And I love how sometimes you have to teach someone how to do something by telling them how not to do it. Have you ever like had to tell your kids, you know, hey, when you go to hook up the trailer, don't do this. Right? Instead of telling them step by step, don't do this. When you back out of the driveway, don't hit a tree. You know, that's things that you don't think you have to say. You think you just have to say Back out of the driveway, right into the road. But you have to say, don't back into a tree. That may or may not be an example from my life this past week. But sometimes when you explain something, you say what not to do. And so Jesus said, all right, you want to know how to pray? Well, don't do this. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the religious leaders. They, they like to get up and they go in public and they say all these words and they, they say all the things to be seen and to be heard by men. He said, don't do that. He said, don't babble. Don't stutter. Don't use the same phrase over and over. Don't like use many and idle words. Just get to the point. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. And and so really what we said in the first week was that our prayer life should be secret. Jesus said, go to your room, shut the door and pray. So our, our prayer life should be secret. It should be simple. When you pray, don 't you, you don 't need a thesaurus out in a dictionary to like make to impress someone just if you 're a simple man like myself, just pray using simple language right't don't, you don 't have to impress anybody and then be sincere so secret, simple, and sincere. It says so the Lord already knows what you need before you even ask, so you don't have to like try to make something up. He already knows. So be secret, simple, and sincere in your prayer life. And then also, then we follow it up. After that, Jesus goes into what is called the Lord's Prayer where he says, don't do that, but you should pray this way. And it goes through, and uh, two weeks ago we looked at it, and he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so that's kind of what we looked at the first week. And uh, we we looked at what does that even mean? Like to pray, it says, "Our Father, who art in heaven." So what we said is, is we talked about like Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and he says, "Pray like this, and, and talk to God as your father." You see, the Old Testament view of God was he was unapproachable, but Jesus is saying he's your father; he's approachable. And so the the challenge and the encouragement was to walk as a son. Walk in the boldness and the confidence that a son has. And it says, hallowed be your name. And like, how do we hallow the name of, that's not really like, at least in my circles that I run with, hallow is not really a word that we throw around a lot of times. Maybe uh, Seth does in your circle of people, you throw that word out, but I don't. And so, you know, but hallow just means to make holy, to set apart. And so we, we just looked at that. How do we do that? And one is just complete obedience, right? If we're going to hallow his name, if we're going to honor his name for what it is, then we're just going to obey him. And then also it it says, uh, to believe him for that he's able to do what he's able to do. If God has promised it, then he's able to do it. And if we can make his name holy, then we're also going to say that he tells the truth and that he's not a liar. And so he's able to do what he can. And then the last one is, uh, don't fear as the world fears, right? If we're going to hallow his name, if we're going to make it holy, if we're going to be called Christ followers, when the world is going astray, we're not going to. We're going to stand on who he is and the name of God. And so here we go. We're going to, I'm going to read all the way through. It, it will be on the screen, I believe. Yes, and uh, this is out of the Christian Standard Bible. So if you have NIV, it might read a little different. But here we go. It says, therefore, this is Jesus talking. He says, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so what, what we began to look at last week is there's a couple of different... Ways to look at it. First, the the first two they call them like petitions or like prayers are directed towards our Father, towards heaven. It says, "Your name be holy, Your kingdom come, Your will be done." And then the second half that will begin next week kind of talks about like us, you know. And so it says, "Give." us our daily bread, forgive us of our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors, right? Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the first couple focus on him, the next one's focus on us. And there's a reason for that, is because if we start with us, then we're gonna be wrong every time. We're gonna miss the mark every time. And so we always start uh, with him first. And so prayer is absolutely essential in our relationship with God as Christ followers. Like, why are we even talking about how to pray? Because prayer is absolutely essential as Christ followers. Like, you cannot be walking faithfully as a Christ follower, as a Christian, if you are not consistently praying. Because see, when the rest of the world worries the church prays. When the rest of the world fears, Christ followers pray. like when the rest of the world is going into chaos and stuck in sin and wars and rumors of war, the church does not go there. The church prays. Prayer is essential. If you want to walk and be who God has called you to be, that is going to simply be through prayer. You cannot be who God has called you to be without a a prayer life. It is less about what you say and more about saying it. It, There's no combination. There's no right, wrong way to do it necessarily. It's not that important. What is important is if you're doing it or not. And so we just want to say that prayer keeps us anchored to the Father's heart. Like why is it necessary to pray? Because this world loves to try to drift us away from the Father's heart, from the love of the Father. Prayer keeps us anchored or tethered to who he is and what his plans and his purposes are. You see that the enemy is a real enemy. It says that he comes to still kill, and destroy. Jesus said that. And Jesus said, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. You see that Satan, his entire plan and purpose for every one of you in here is to still kill, and destroy to steal, whether it's money, peace, time, energy, health, whatever he can do, your family, your kids, your loved ones, his entire plan is to steal from you. He will kill for you. Like he will take your life from you and he will destroy every relationship that you want. That is the enemy's whole plan. And the plan is to pull you away from the father's heart because if he can separate you and isolate you, then all of a sudden you will say, just like Eve said, oh, well, did God really say? Wait, is God really for me? Prayer keeps us anchored to the Father's heart. The enemy tries to pull us away. This will keep us together. When we drift away, then our prayers become more about us and less about him, more of what I need and less of how can I be useful. Have you ever noticed that? If if you're in... The word, and you're praying, and you're doing great. Your prayers sound a lot different than when you when you're walking in sin. When 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 there when there's a bill that needs to be paid, and your relationship with the Lord's not where you feel like it should be, all of a sudden it's like, God, I, I don't know, I, I got to have this. Like, I don't even care what, how you do it. Take it from someone else. Just give it to me. I don't even care at this point. I just got to pay this bill, right? Like, all of a sudden your prayer is focused on. You, like the Israelites, were led out of Egypt, out of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. As they passed it, the Egyptian army followed them, and the Red Sea swallowed up the entire Egyptian army. They're saved. They're delivered. They're out of that place. They're no longer slaves. And he's taken them to a promised land that he's about to show them. And just a mere days, weeks, months after that Red Sea incident, the Israelites are like, They don't have any water, they're in the desert because they're on their way to the promised land and they're like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, you should have just left us in Egypt. At least we would have either had water there or we would have died, but, but now you bring us out here and we're gonna die in the middle of the desert? Just a mere days, weeks, and months before the Lord just delivered them from slavery, changed their entire trajectory. But because they were in a struggle, and they were separated from God because of their disobedience. Their prayers all of a sudden became about them and what they wanted and what they needed and not about him. That's that's why we start, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We start by acknowledging him for who he is. The, the psalmist says that we enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise. You see, because the old temple compound, the the way that it was set up was there were different courtyards and different gates. And so the, the psalmist David is talking, he says that when we're gonna enter into his presence, right, as we approach the holy of holies that housed the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, that as we approach him, as we come through the courts, it's with thanksgiving and it's with praise. So that's why we start our father in heaven, hallowed, be your name you see the temple compound that the outer courts is what it was called but on the outer courts was called like the court of the gentiles so the jews and the gentiles were allowed to be there right and then then there was another court as you walked through and and there were gates all around the compound and as you walked into another courtyard it, it was called the court of women so so that's as far as Women could go. And and then as you got a little bit closer and and around there, there would be the court of men. And then, then you had the court of priests. And then as you got closer and closer, there was the altar, and then all of a sudden, you're at the Holy of Holies, which was not allowed to be accessed, but by one priest once a year. And so what he's saying, the psalmist is saying, enter my courts with thanksgiving and my gates with praise." that as you approach me, as you come into my presence, then this is how you should do that. And this is important as we talk about your kingdom come, your will be done, because if we're going into his presence with thanksgiving and praise, then those things will come naturally because if we don't and we're living for our kingdom and for our purposes, then we will never say your will be done because it will be all about me and my kingdom. It's painting a picture of what it looks like to enter into his presence can i this this might be weird and awkward because i know i just said like prayer life should be secret right but can i just like let you into a glimpse of like if you're like okay what do you mean thanksgiving and praise like you don't even know my life you have no clue what's going on in me but but i can tell you like like for me i I just start simple like thanksgiving and praise so like I, i just go father thank you for this breath I I don't know if you have a big house, small house, it doesn't matter because I I can thank them for breath. Thank thank you, Jesus, for this breath that you've put in my lungs. Say thank you for my health. Whether it's full strength or not, I thank you for my health. I thank you for my wife who loves me and adores me. Just (laughs) not really. (laughs) Thank you for my wife. Thank you that you've placed her in my life. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for the way that you protect them. You, You provide for us. Thank you, thank you for the clothes and the house that we have, the four walls and the roof and the heat and the AC. Thank you that I open up my refrigerator today and there will be food in there. Father, thank you that, that you just, when I got out this morning, I put the key in my car and it started. And maybe you have to say, well, then the second or third time, then it started. But we can still be thankful. You see that that thankfulness is like small. Like it doesn't have to be these this big grand things. And because what we're doing is as we enter his courts with Thanksgiving and praise, all of a sudden we're like, man, I got a lot to be thankful for. You know? Because all of a sudden you 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 forget how big your neighbor's house is and how nice of a car they drive, and that they have the good beef and not the 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 Walmart beef or whatever. You know, like all of a sudden it's less about there's nothing wrong. I like Walmart beef. Whatever. Like i digress by accident but like all of a sudden with thanksgiving and praise what's happening on around outside of you all of a sudden does not matter because all of a sudden you realize exactly what you are thankful for. Like, I mean, you you can be so simple. Father, thank you that we live in this time where there is air conditioning. Thank you that we live in the time that's after the sacrifice system, right? After Jesus, where there's grace and mercy. Father, I thank you that I live in the greatest county and the greatest state and the greatest nation ever known to man. Like, I thank you for all of these things. Thank you. Like, it's so simple what you can be thankful for because all of a sudden it takes the focus off of there and it puts it all right back on him and then you enter into praise and you say father i give you praise it is right to praise your name you're the one only god there's no one like you father i praise your name jesus there's no one else worthy and you just go through there i praise you for being the creator of the heavens and the earth i marvel at the mountains and the valleys whatever however you want to say it like but it's just these simple prayers of thanksgiving and of praise and then all of a sudden Your mindset of prayer has changed. Now all of a sudden it's like, man, I I don't know how people pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, I don't have anything to pray. All of a sudden when you start praying like that, your mindset gets right and everything becomes in order right there because prayer settles us. You know, when, when you're anxious and all of a sudden you start to pray, Thanksgiving and praise, you start talking, all of a sudden the anxiousness, the nervousness settles down. Prayer settles us. Prayer anchors us to the Father's heart. You see, because our proximity to God changes the priorities we have on this earth. The closer we are to God, all of a sudden, the more aligned our priorities are with his kingdom and his will. It's when we get away from him, when we stray from him, that all of a sudden it becomes about me. So here we go. Your kingdom come. This is Jesus's next teaching. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we think of kingdom, at least for me, I think physical, a king, a land, a people, rule and reign and you know we have subjects and we have all these things and right? But but really that's what caused the Jews to miss out on who Jesus was. Right? Like they they were like anticipating the Messiah. They had prophecies from hundreds and thousands of years ago of who the Messiah was going to be, who the king was going to be that was going to come. It says from the line of the king of Melchizedek, like there's going to be somebody that comes and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to slay all of our enemies, all the ones that have mocked us and made fun of us. He is going to come and he's going to rule and reign. And Jesus came riding on a donkey on the way to be crucified so that he could be buried, resurrected, and his kingdom was alive and active. You see that Jesus ushered in the new covenant. He ushered in the new kingdom. And actually through his birth is when the new kingdom started. And with Jesus' public ministry, he even started by saying in Mark 1.14, he's like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You see, we keep looking for, and I think we can fall into the same error as the Jews did because like something happens and all of a sudden we're like, oh, Jesus, come save us. Trump lost the election. This world is going to go down and we're done. Jesus, we need you to come save us. Our, our rumors happen and war happen and all of a sudden we're like, Jesus, we just need you to come save us. The, the, come and the truth is, the kingdom of God is already within you. We're we're asking Him to come and do something that He has absolutely told us to do. You you see that Adam was Adam and Eve were created to rule and reign, to have dominion over everything, right? The plants and the the birds and the beasts of the field and the grasses and all of that. <laughs> Leo, Leo turned off a light. We, we love kids around here, okay? If, they, if your kids are running around, it does not bother us. It's pretty fun. But you see that Adam and Eve were created to rule and reign. They, they surrendered that rule and reign by, by giving in to sin. But then when Jesus came, he ushered in the new covenant, the new kingdom, and now we are created to rule and reign. So everything that we want to see done in this world, we have the ability to do. You you see, like we can grow frustrated with the welfare system, but the welfare system was only created because the the church failed to do it. You see that that in Acts chapter 242, that everyone in the church that had a need, it was met because they shared their possessions. You see, it says your kingdom come because for too long, we've been building our own kingdoms. We've been building our fat retirements. We've been building houses and big privacy fences to keep people out because we wanna be something. We want to prove something to somebody that that we've arrived and we've made it but you see that when we say your kingdom come we're saying hey come on your kingdom come into this place and so i know that can be kind of confusing what what is the kingdom of god and uh that was a question that i i asked myself as i was getting ready to, to preach this because i think that's important to answer that the kingdom of god jesus said that i came This was a prophecy out of Isaiah, and then Jesus quotes it in uh, Luke chapter 4. But Jesus said that that I came to preach the good news to the poor, to release the captives, to give sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. You see that when we say, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, I'm going to do those things. Your kingdom will be advanced through me. You see that, that we are called to advance the kingdom. Wherever Amy Sandlin sets foot, the kingdom of God is supposed to be advanced. Like the kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's, it's an eternal kingdom that has no end, right? His dominion will be forever according to the word in Isaiah. But like, wherever I step foot, those things are supposed to go with me. Like, like I'm called, when I, when I pray, like I've, I've given thanks, and praise to God, I said, you know, our Father in heaven, I'm walking boldly as a son. I'm hallowing your name. I'm going to believe you that, that you can do what you say you're going to do. And now I'm saying, your kingdom come. I'm saying, hey, let me be the one that preaches the good news to the poor, that gives sight to the blind, that sets the captives free, that sets the oppressed free. That's me. And so when we're saying that, we're saying we're going to accomplish those tasks. You see, prayer not only anchors us to the Father's heart, but it also sends us out into the world. You see, that, that prayer is not just about what I want, but prayer is about how can I be useful. And so here, here's what that looks like. When we pray, your kingdom come, we we're saying that through me, your kingdom will advance. We have a job to do on the earth. We want to sit back and wait for God to step in and fix it, but we have been given power and authority to work on his behalf. Like, if there's sickness in the world, if there's sickness in your body or in your family's body, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you look at when Jesus prayed, Jesus never said, God, will you heal this person? What did he say? Be healed. He did not, when Lazarus was dead in the tomb, he did not say, hey, God, will you raise Lazarus from the dead? He said, Lazarus, come out. You see that, that there's a power and authority that we have that we want to sit back And let God do it when he's already given us the power and the authority to do it. You see that when when I'm sick, when my wife is sick, when my family is sick, when one of you is sick, when whatever is going on, when, when when there's lack or there's fear or worry or doubt, our prayers have to change from, God, will you fix this? God, will you do this? To where we get to speak with boldness and authority and power because we are a son of God. And it says that if we are sons of God, then we are heirs with Christ, like co-heirs with Christ. It says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in me, that that I have the fullness of God in me. And so it changes our prayers because all of a sudden we get a right picture of who God is. He's seated on his throne and now I get to walk in boldness and we get to talk to sickness. We get to talk to fear and shame and guilt and worry and whatever else you wanna put. We get to talk to cancer and tell cancer to leave. We don't ask God because what happens is our experiences have changed changed our prayers because we don't see it happen and I can I can say from my experience I've prayed for a lot of sick people that have never been healed I've prayed for a lot of worry that I've still worried about I've prayed for a lot of shame and I've still walked with it I'm not saying that I'm perfect but what I'm saying is I'm not going to lower the bar of what Jesus said and what he expected so when I see someone that's sick when I pray for sickness I think the other thing that that our experience is all of a sudden that we don't see it, so then it changes. And then we say, oh, well, Father, if it's your will for this cancer, then so be it. But if not, we pray for healing. Will you heal that person? You, You see that we have to begin to pray with power and authority. We have to speak. According to Romans, it says, call things as not though they are, but as they should be. You see that we speak to the body, not as it is sick, but as it should be, that it was created according to the word of God to, to be made whole, to be made new, to prosper. May your body prosper just as your soul prospers. Like it was made to walk in righteousness because he makes all things new. And I know sometimes it doesn't add up. I don't see it, but, but I don't get to question God. Just because I don't see my grandpa get healed of cancer doesn't mean that God is not still good and that, that God still does not heal It just means I don't get to see it on this side of heaven, but I can tell you right now, my grandpa is standing before Jesus in a glorious body that is made new and whole, and he is not worried about cancer. I I, I can pray for for people that are going through divorce, and I can pray for restoration, and I can pray for it. Sometimes I don't see it, but it doesn't change my prayer. I'm not gonna all of a sudden lessen who God is because I don't see it. I'm still gonna pray as if it, is not as it as it should be not as it is you see cuz prayer sends us out like the the kingdom of god we are called to go out like when i say we are to call to preach the good news of the gospel when we say your kingdom come well, i'm saying i'm going to preach the good news to the poor it's not the poor that that the in money but it's the poor in spirit the needy the ones that that are lost without Jesus. Here's the good news is that, that you do not have to change the world, right? He is not calling you to go and save everybody. But what he is calling you to is to preach the good news to the world around you. You don't have to preach it to the world, just to your world. You have, you, you have been placed in your neighborhood, in your school, with your teacher, with your coworkers, with your boss, in your company, in your county, for the gospel, when, you're, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, let the good news of the gospel come out of my mouth. And the great news is, you know, you know the best way to preach sometimes, actually probably most of the time, is to not use any words. It's to live a life that's consistent. It's that, that, that when they see you after you just won the lottery, your reaction is the same as when you just got diagnosed with cancer full of joy, full of hope, full of life, not doubting, not wavering. The the best way to preach the gospel to your neighbors is not to walk them through the Romans road and get them to say a prayer. The best way to preach the gospel to your neighbors is to invite them into your house, have them around your dinner table and share what God has done in your life. I mean, it freaks people out to, to say, to preach the good news. It, it, it like, I mean, even like, as I'm like challenging you guys to do that, I know y'all are like, bro, I cannot. Like, I don't even know what to, it, it, there's not a, a set thing of what to say. It's live your life in that, that's a pleasure to God. Live your life that is consistent because the world is watching you. They, they wanna see if you're real or not. Anybody can be happy in the good times. They want to know what happens when you lose your kid. They want to know what happens when they foreclose on your house. Because they want to, they want to ask you, how can you be so full of joy? Like you're, you're, you're losing everything. You're on your deathbed. Nobody likes you. How can you still be so full of joy? You know, the best way to share your testimony, it it doesn't have to be this long drawn out how I came to know Jesus. Here's the simplest way. And and maybe maybe I'll put this out in the weekly email because it's real simple. It says, there was a time in my life when blank. For me, man, there was a time in my life when I was just addicted to lust. But then I met Jesus and he set me free. There was a time in my life where I was full of shame and guilt. But I encountered the love of the Father. And now I walk as a son. It's the most, like, oh, I started going to church right across the street when I was eight years old. And, it, like, that doesn't matter. There was a time in my life when this, I encountered Jesus And now this, and that's your testimony. 15 seconds, you can share it. You can preach the good news of the gospel in 15 seconds because all of a sudden you share that and they go, okay, well, you you struggled with lust. Really? Like me too. Testimonies is what sets people free. It says that we're saved by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. If you want to preach the good news to your neighbors, share your testimony, invite them over. Number two, it says to release the captives, right? So the kingdom of God is to preach the good news to the poor, to release the captives. You see, to release the captives, it means to help those who are in bondage to sin. We are so good. The church is so good. And Christians are so good at pointing out sin. Man, I mean, we just have the the Boy Scout badge of that. We are great at telling everybody what they've done wrong. And we can point at them and show you, and we can show you all the Bible verses that show that you are wrong. Big whoop. To set the captives free does not mean to point out their sin. Here's a a good saying. It says that if you're willing to call it out, be willing to walk it out. If you're willing to call it out in them, walk it out with them. You, You as a Christian do not have the right to just sit here and just blast everybody's sin and tell them all the things they've done wrong without showing them the way to redemption and restoration. If we're gonna pray your kingdom come, we're gonna say for the captives to be released, to walk them through like repentance. We're not just gonna say, living in that type of a lifestyle is wrong. The way you spend your money is wrong. The way you talk to your husband or your wife, that is wrong. And then we get to walk away and we've done it. We have blasted the truth and here we go. To release the captives means, hey, I I noticed the way that you talked to your mom the other day, Bree. Not really, but we'll just use that. You're here and she's here. I noticed the way that you talked to your mom the other way that I just, I wasn't really honoring to her. And like, I think there's so much better. I know she was probably wrong. Now that part might be true, but I I know that she was probably wrong, but there's a better way to say that with the heart of redemption. And so, and then now I say, hey, if you want to, I'll just lead you through like, what that looks like for forgiveness. So we, we lead them to repentance, forgiveness, and then we say, all right, now you get to get on the right path. You see that, that when we're going to set the captives free, we call them to repentance. We have to. I'm not saying that the Christians should not call people out, sin. We, we can't just let sin run rampant. But what I'm saying is that, that we don't get to just call it out and then pat ourselves on the back as we turn around and smile and hop in our car and drive off with our starbucks i don't know it just feels like you would have starbucks at that point (laughs) we have to lead them to repentance so they they can receive forgiveness so they can walk in healing and wholeness says that jesus came the kingdom of god he ushered it in my clock is broken up there i don't have a timer y'all just have to yell at me yeah we're good the, uh, Jesus came, he ushered in the kingdom. He preached the good news. He gave, released the captive. He gave sight to the blind. This kind of goes with the release of captives. It's to bring light to those who are walking in darkness. Do you understand that the world around you is dark? Like they're walking in, in lies. They're walking in deception. They're being deceived. Like they're walking in darkness to, to, give, to give sight to the blind. It might mean to pray for someone and, and give actual sight, but I think more often than not, it, it just means to give hope and to give peace. You see that that when you've lost all hope, you're done. You're walking in darkness, and it's just a deeper and deeper path, and it's quicker and quicker and quicker. That's why I like that you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel when, when there's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And so, to give sight to the blind is to waken them up to that there is hope. there is a better way right there there is peace in this chaos, and so that we just want to give sight to the blind and i 'm going to give us a, a time to respond to that uh, these things at the end you know but but also the way that we give sight to the blind is that we speak truth you know There's a lot, we live in the social media age, that's probably not one of your thankfulness prayers, you know, but like we live in the social media age that is full of lies and deception and misinformation. The the old saying is that a lie can travel around the world before the truth can leave the room. So true, you know, and so there's so much lies and deception. And and so to to give sight to the blind just means to speak truth into their life, to say it man, I think you're just reading that situation wrong. They're really not upset with you. You know, like our that's not really the way that you look at that. I mean, like that's not really the best way for you to spend your money. You know what I'm saying? Like it's to, to offer up the truth of his word and to speak truth in their life. All right, last one, it says to set the oppressed free. So Jesus said that he ushered in the new covenant, the new kingdom. It was to preach the good news, to release the captives, give sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. It's to help put the broken and the shattered pieces back together. Do you you see like like the oppressed, those that are just overcome with all the things, they are broken and they are shattered. And what they need is not someone to stomp on them or to point that out, but they need someone to put it back together, to bring healing and restoration. Can can I tell you like like this when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we're we're saying like it, it's messy. You know, to to walk out these things with people, to share the good news, and and then you know, honestly, to there, there's very very rarely will you uh, get turned away if you ask someone to pray if you ask to pray for someone like if you're at Target or, or Walmart buying your beef or something, you know, uh, <laughs> carried that joke over, you know, but like uh, if you're if you ask to pray for someone, nine out of ten times they're gonna say yes. No no worries, right? We we still live in America. But, but if you ask to share the gospel, <laughs> now, now, now you're getting a little personal. It gets tougher and it gets messier. To, to speak truth into people, to, to lead them to repentance, forgiveness, and to help them walk in a healthy lifestyle, that's hard. You know why? Because they're gonna fail again. You know why? I know because I fell and I have to get back on. I need someone to help me get back on, lead me to, to repentance, forgiveness, and back onto the right path. And you're going to have the opportunity to say, man, I just can't do this anymore. Like, like I've told you nine times that that is not okay to drink seven Dr. Peppers in a day. And you're right. And so I have to repent, walk in forgiveness, get right on the, right? Or it's not okay to spend your money that way. It's not okay to talk to your wife that way. And then all of a sudden the wife says, he's doing it again. Okay. You're going to have to make the choice to, to do this means I'm not going to give up on you because I have someone who hasn't given up on me yet. And, and it's going to be ugly, it's going to be messy, it's going to be inconvenient. You're going to be on the way to your kid's sports game, and you're going to get a call of a crisis. And in that moment, you're going to have to make a decision. Man, why did I pray your kingdom come? <laughs> like that, That's the decision. Like, Lord, i asked you, Lord, I asked for an opportunity, and you gave it to me. You know, you, you're going to be on your way to, to something you enjoy or you're going to be late to something that you don't want to go to but that you have to be at and you're going to see someone on the side of the road. You're going to have to make, an, you're gonna have to make a, a conscious decision because can I, can I be honest with you that, that I've encountered so many people on the side of the road that all it is is just offering hope like I really can 't help change a tire well i 'm really not that kind of guy you know i 'm more of the target antique guy, and so uh helping someone on the side of the road, but sometimes i 'm just like that extra set of eyes, and I can help and talk but But what you do is all you got to do is just talk and you bring peace because it 's chaotic it's scary it 's nervous because people are driving with their phones in their hands not paying attention, and they 're on the side of the road and they 're going way too fast and But just to offer that, hey, can I help you get the tire out? You know, I can do that. Can I help you get the tire out? Can we get this? That's all they need. They don't need Superman to come and change their tire. They just need a guy, a girl to pull over and see how they're doing. Oh, I saw them. They had a phone in their hand. I bet they're fine. But wouldn't it be nice to have someone to wait with you? (laughs) You know, like it it sounds counterculture and it is because Jesus was counterculture. And so when, when we say these things, right, when, you, when we pray, your kingdom come, we are asking for opportunities for this to happen. So can I tell you, when you pray, our Father in heaven, right, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. That's exactly what we're praying. That's why it's so important because that was the ministry of Jesus. He dedicated his life to this and he put it into 12 disciples for them to begin to spread that, to set the captives free, to have the blind receive sight, to preach the good news of the gospel and to set the oppressed free. That is the kingdom of God and that is what we have been called to do. Prayer is not a way for you and I to get what we want, but prayer is a way for you and I to be an instrument for God to do what he wants to do, to partner with him to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Prayer is not... a way for you to get what you want. It's to align our purposes with his. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is I'm aligning my will, my desire, my pleasures, my plans, and my purposes with what you want. And, and we'll go through this last one. It says, your will be done. Will is desire or pleasure. We're saying, Father, let your desire For my life be done. Let your pleasure for my life be done. This this will sound (coughs) sorry. This will sound weird, but God is less concerned about what you do for a living. You know, like so many times we're like, "Oh, does He want me to do this or this or this or this or this or that?" And really, what He wants you to do is just to say, "Your will be done." And if that's selling cars, great. If it's selling insurance, great. If it's concrete, plumber. Whatever, just do that. We, we spend so much time trying to like, oh, I hope this is in the will of God. I hope this is what he wants for me. What he wants for you is to preach the good news to the poor, to, for the blind to receive sight, to set the oppressed free, to set the captives free, for you to be used as a tool and an instrument in his hands for his glory and his purposes. That is his will for your life. Your will be done. What we're saying is this life is not my own. The, uh, Paul says in Galatians that, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When we're, when we're saying your will be done, we are saying it as a dead man. We are dead to ourselves because we have been crucified with Christ and we do not have any rights to say anything else. We do not have the right to tell God, and I was just telling a couple before church that that I tell God this often, Lord, I don't want to live in Texas anymore. Just send me somewhere cold so I don't have to sunburn, right? But honestly, I don't have a right to say that. I don't have a right to say where I want to live, what car I want to drive, how my kids dress, who they want to marry, if they want to play sports or not. I, I have no rights America is the greatest country ever known to man, but it's also confused us as Christians. You see, because we are citizens of heaven first, and we confuse our rights as Americans, and we transpose them to our rights as a Christian. We do not have a right to respond as the world responds. You you know, like, like a dead man has no rights. Like, in America, we, we have the rights, right? The Bill of Rights. I'm not going to bore you because I don't know them all, but pretend I do, right? But like, like a dead man does not have the right to free speech. That's ludicrous. A dead man does not have the right to bear arms. That, that's, we would never do that. A dead man does not have the right to vote, even though sometimes he does, but he doesn't have the right to vote. You know, like a dead man, thank you. A dead man has no rights, and we are dead to ourselves, we have no right. I do not have the right to tell God where I want to eat lunch today, what I want to look like. I have no right. The life we live is not our own. We have been crucified with Christ. That, that it says that I have been not only crucified with Christ, but I've been crucified to the world. The world is no longer appealing to me. You see that? That when we come, we say the life that I live is not my own. When we say your will be done, what we're saying is I'm yours. Use me however you want me to. If you want me to move, I'll move. If you want me to walk to work from now on, I will walk to work from now on. If you want me to speak a kind word to that person, I will do that too. If you want me to give away all my possession to move somewhere else, I will do that. You see that we have no right to say that this is what I want because we are dead. You, A dead man. We're, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You see, and so we are dead in ourselves. Christ lives in us. The life that we live is no longer our own, but it's him living through us. And so when we say your will be done, what we're saying is whatever you want is what I want. And not, not. all right. You know, like sometimes you have a, a discussion, sometimes it's loudly on where you want to eat, you know, like where do you want to eat? i don't care you know then they say like okay yeah that's what i want to but you can tell they obviously don't they or i obviously don't want not calling anyone out right you can tell obviously they don't want what we just got and it's like we don't have the right not only do we not have the right to tell them where we want to eat we also don't have the right to be grumpy about the things that we've given over to the lord you see that, that when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying we're gonna, we surrender to you. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, what did he say? Take up your cross daily and follow me. You see that we have to die to ourselves daily, that we have to crucify our flesh daily. We have to deny our self things because we, we, we wanna uh, take care of ourselves. We wanna be okay, but the, the word says to die to yourself. So here, here's how we're gonna respond to this today. I want you to just take a quick moment. The, the first question is, who can I show the kingdom of God to this week? Like, what, what are those four? Preach the good news, the blind receive sight, set the captives free, set the oppressed free. Like, like your prayer today is, who can I show the kingdom of God to? Because the world around you is desperate to see that. And your second one is, what in me needs to die so Christ can live? Those are fun, fun questions to ask. But I can promise you that if you ask yourself that on a daily, a weekly basis, all of a sudden you're going to begin to see that you're not grumpy anymore, but that you're joyful. All of a sudden, you're going to see that it's not awkward to share the gospel. It's not awkward to, to like be the good person. It's not awkward. It's actually life-giving, not just for you, but for them. Who can I show the kingdom of God to? And in what in me needs to die so that Christ can live? So, Father, we just come before you today. We ask those questions of you, like legitimately, Father, who, who do you want Jeff Hopkins to minister to this week. Anyone, any time, any place, Father, I'm yours. I want to be useful for you. And Father, I just ask you to honestly just gently show me something in my life that needs to be removed. And Father, if you're faithful to do that, which I know you are, then I will be faithful to be obedient to you. I want what you want for me your kingdom come your will be done so Father we love you in your name we pray Amen Amen